Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning, everyone. It is the 27th. It's nice to have you guys with us. It's a Monday, so I'm kind of having a Monday here with my iPad giving me fits, and <laughs> and I've got to figure that out. But we are at 80 degrees here, and a little bit cloudy outside. Don't know if we have any rain in the forecast here. No, not today, not really. It's supposed to be a beautiful day, partly cloudy, dropping down to a chilly 77 at night. <laughs> And uh, nothing really forecast. So there you go, summertime here. So we are looking at Second Samuel 19. And I'm going to add 20 today. It was only 19, and that just one chapter. And we have at least three or four tomorrow. So I just broke it up. Going to do chapter 19, chapter 20. But before we go over to the reading today, let's um, go have a little fun and look at... Um, well, we'll look at the dad jokes. That's the fun part. Let's look at this day in history, which was uh, some serious stuff that happened. I'm only going to mention one. There's a bunch of uh, state and local things that happened. But the the one major one that caught my attention on this day, June 27th, 1844, the first assassination of a U.S. presidential candidate in 1844. And you'll never guess who it was. This was a complete surprise to me. It was not an attempt. It was an assassination of U.S. presidential candidate. June 27, 1844, Mormon founder Joseph Smith and his brother are killed by a mob while they were held in jail. Smith was shot several times, eventually falling out of the jail window. He was currently running as a presidential candidate, as an independent. His platform included the closure of prisons, <laughs> go figure, the annexation of Texas, Oregon and parts of Canada, free trade, and the reestablishment of a national bank. He and his brother were in jail on charges of treason. Interesting. So there you go on that. The other thing I thought we would look at today was our dad jokes. And uh, here's here's one that I thought was pretty well thought out. Uh, It's dumb, though. (laughs) I got a promotion at the farm. I'm the new CIEIO. <laughs> Must have been on a McDonald's farm. Um, how about this one? Finally, my winter fat is gone. Now I have spring rolls. <laughs> That's true. I can relate to that. Why is it a bad idea to iron a four-leaf clover? Because you shouldn't press your luck. Okay, now we'll do the reading today. Look over in your Bibles. Let's get over. Open up 2 Samuel, and we will be in chapter 19. So God, thank you for this morning, and we pray that you would guide and direct us and open up our our hearts as we open up our Bible and uh, guide us and direct us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now it was told Joab, Behold, the king is weeping and mourns for Absalom. The victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people, for the people heard 
It said that the king is grieved for his son, so the people went by stealth into the city that day, as people who are humiliated steal away when they flee in battle. The king covered his face and cried out with a loud voice, O oh, my son Absalom, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house to the king and said, Today you are covered with shame in the faces of all your servants who today have saved your life and the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines by loving those who hate you and hating those who love you. For you have shown today that princes and servants are nothing to you. For I know this day that if Absalom were alive, that all of us were dead today, that you would be pleased. Now therefore arise, go out, and speak kindly to the servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, surely not a man will pass the night with you, and this will be worse for you than the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. So David arose and sat in the gate. When they told all the people, saying, Behold, the king is sitting in the gate, then all the people came before the king. Now Israel had fled, each to his tent. All the people were quarreling throughout the tribes of Israel, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines. But now he has fled out of the land of, of, from Absalom. However, Absalom, who was anointed over us, has died in the battle. Now then, why are you silent about bringing the king back? Then King David sent to Zadok and Abiathar the priests, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house, since the word of Israel has come to the king, even to his house? You are my brothers, you are the bone of my flesh. Why then should you be last to bring back the king? Saying to Amasite, Are you not bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh? May God do so to me, and more so, if you will not be commander of the army before me continually in place of Joab. Thus he turned the hearts of all the men of Judah as one man, so that they sent word to the king, saying, Return, you and all your servants. The king then returned and came as far as the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal in order to go to meet the king, to bring the king across the Jordan. Then Shemai, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, who was from Barim, hurried and came down with the men to Judah to meet the king. There were a thousand men, a Benjamin with them, and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his fifteen sons and his twenty servants with him, and they rushed to the Jordan before the king. Then they kept crossing the ford to bring over the king's household and to do what was good in his sight. And Shemai, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan. So he said to the king, Let not my lord consider me guilty, nor remember what your servant did wrong on that day when my lord the king came out of Jerusalem, so that the king would take it to heart. For your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come today, the first of all, the house of Judah, to go down to meet my lord the king. But Abishai, the son of Zerai, said, Should not Shammai be put to death for this? Because he cursed the Lord's anointed. David then said, What have I to do with you, O son of Zerai, that you should this day be an adversary to me? Should any man be put to death in Israel today? For do I not know that I am the king over Israel today? The king said to Shammai, You shall not die. Thus the king swore to him. 
Then Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. And he had neither cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothing, from the day that the king departed until the day that he came home in peace. It was when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? So he answered, O my lord, the king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I may ride on it and go with the king, because your servant is lame. Moreover, he has slandered your servant to my lord the king. But my lord the king is like the angel of God, therefore do what is good in your sight. For all my father's household was nothing but dead men before my lord and king. Yet you have set your servant among those who ate at your own table. What right do I have yet that I should complain any more to be king? So the king said to him, Why do you still speak of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. Mephibosheth said to the king, Let him even take it all, since my lord the king has come safely to his own house. But Barzillai the Gileadite had come down from Rogalim and went on to the Jordan with the king to escort him over the Jordan. Now, Barzillai was very old, about 80 years old, and he had sustained the king while he was stayed in Mahanaim, and he was a very great man. And the king said to Barzillai, You cross over with me, and I will sustain you in Jerusalem with me. But Barzillai said to the king, How long have I yet to live? that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem. I am now eighty years old. Can I distinguish between good and bad, or can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Or can I hear any more the voice of singing men and women? Why then should your servant be an added burden to my lord the king? Your servant would merely cross over the Jordan with the king. Why should the king compensate me with this reward? Please let your servant return, that I may lie down in my own city, near the grave of my father and my mother. However, here is your servant, Chimham. Let him cross over with my lord, the king, and do for him what is good in your sight. The king answered, Chimham shall cross over with me, and I will do for him what is good in your sight, and whatever you require of me, I will do for you. All the people crossed over the Jordan, and the king crossed too. The king then kissed Barzillai and blessed him, and he returned to his place. Now the king went on to Gilgal, and Chimham went on with him, and all the people of Judah, and also half the people of Israel, accompanied the king. And behold, all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why had our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away, and brought the king and his household and all David's men with him over the Jordan? Then all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, Because the king is a close relative to us. Why then are you angry about this? Have we eaten at all at the king's expense? Or has anything been taken from us? But the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, We have ten parts in the king. Therefore, we also have more claim on David than you. Why then did you treat us with contempt? Was it not our advice first to bring back the king? Yet the words of the men of Judah were harsher than the words of the men of Israel. Chapter 20 now a worthless fellow happened to be there, whose name was Sheba, the son of Bikri, the Benjamite. 
And he blew the trumpet and said, We have no portion with David, nor do we have inheritance in the son of Jesse. Each man to his tents, O Israel. So all the men of Israel withdrew from following David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri. But the men of Judah remained steadfast to their king from the Jordan even to Jerusalem. And David came to his house at Jerusalem. And the king took the ten women, the concubines, who had been left to keep the house. And he placed them under guard and provided them with sustenance. But he did not go into them. So they were shut up until the day of their death, living as widows. Then the king said to Amasa, Call out the men of Judah for me within three days and be present here yourself. So Amasa went to call out the men of Judah and he delayed longer than the set time which he had appointed him. So David sent Abishai. Now Sheba, the son of Bichri, will do us more harm than Absalom. Take your Lord's servants and pursue him so that he does not find for himself fortified cities and escape from our sight. So Joab's men went out from him along with the Cherethites and the Pelethites and all the mighty men. And they went out from Jerusalem to pursue she, the son of Bichri. When they were at the large stone, which is in Gibeon, Amasa came to meet them. Now Joab was dressed in his military attire, and over it was a belt with a sword in its sheath, fastened at his waist. And as he went forward, it fell out. Joab said to Amasa, Is it well with you, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard and with his right hand to kiss him. And Amasa was not on guard against the sword, which was in Joab's hand. So he struck him in the belly with it and poured out his inward parts on the ground. And he did not strike him again, and he died. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba, the son of Bichri. Now there stood by him one of Joab's young men and said, Whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, let him follow Joab. But Amasa lay wallowing in his blood in the middle of the highway. And when the man saw that all the people stood still, he removed Amasa from the field, from the highway, into the field, and threw a garment over him when he saw that everyone who came by him stood still. Verse 13. As soon as he was removed from the highway, all the men passed on after Joab to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. Now he went through all the tribes of Israel to Abel, even Bath-Makkah, and all the Barites, and they were gathered together and also went after him. They came and besieged him at Abel-Beth-Makkah, and they cast up a siege ramp against the city and stood by the rampart. And all the people who were with Joab were wrecking destruction in order to topple the wall. Then a wise woman called from the city, Here, here, please tell Joab, come here that I may speak to you. So he approached her, and the woman said, Are you Joab? And he said, I am. And she said to him, Listen to the words of your maidservant. And he answered, I am listening. And she spoke, saying, Formerly they used to say, They will surely take advice at Abel. And thus they ended the dispute. I am of those who are peaceable and faithful in Israel. Are you seeking to destroy a city, even a mother of Israel? Why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? Job replied, Far be it, far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. 
Such is not the case, but a man from the hill country of Ephraim, Sheba, the son of Bichri, by name, has lifted up his hand against King David. Only hand him over, and I will depart from the city. And the woman said to Jacob, Behold, his head will be thrown to you over the wall. Then the woman wisely came to the people, and they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and threw it to Joab. So he blew the trumpet, and they were dispersed from the city, each to extent. Joab also returned to the king at Jerusalem. Now Joab was over the whole army of Israel, and Benaniah, the son of Jehodiah, was over the Cherethites and the Perethites. And Adoram was over the forced labor. And Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was the recorder. And Shiva, the scribe, and Zadok and Abiathar were priests. And Ira, the Jairite, was also a priest to David. So this David coming back into the city is, is such a joyful thing to see this reestablishment of David as king, which was God's will. Uh, remember, God had made a statement. God had declared, I think it was through Samuel, that the uh, kingdom would never depart from David. And of course, immediately, we could say spiritually, the enemy that Satan decides to try and challenge that and take him out and appoint one of his own through Absalom. And it doesn't work. And God <laughs> picks off Absalom with a tree. And uh, Joab finishes him off. Joab's a violent man. Joab is an ambitious man. He's working for David, but he often everything he does seems to be self-preservation and to promote himself. So he's uh, it's like the third murder um, against one uh, of, of a person that David had given sp specific orders not to kill or, or he knew that he was part of David's army. So Job's a strange character in this whole thing. He probably thought he was not just trying to secure his place as the general over the army, but he probably thought that uh, this this guy coming back, taking so long to come back, may have been coming back because he was making alliances or, or he was so ineffective. I don't know. But anyway, uh, David immediately runs into the problem again of the separation of these of the tribes of Israel, the ten against the two. And the men of Israel, because they're not from the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, they want to separate themselves and um, go up north. And of course, this was initially the situation when David was down um, in Hebron. He was king over Hebron. And you had Saul up in the north over the other tribes, over the other ten. So you had a division then. And so when David, when Saul dies, he becomes king. Then they all decide, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll come back together. But once David leaves the city under Absalom, Israel's then thinking, hey, you know what? We, we kind of liked it when we were in charge uh, over our own northern kingdom. And they're not too excited about having David back, which was, it's, it's, it's strange because remember how well David reigned. David was a powerful king that knew how to, uh, keep away the enemy, and he he 
ruled in fairness and equity, really. But what's and and then the other thing that's strange was the tribes of the north didn't seem to have too much preoccupation with leaving behind Jerusalem where the Ark of the Covenant was, which, again, is a bad sign because it was showing they were becoming more political in their view and not spiritual, which was their downfall. And, of course, this is going to continue this thinking up until the point where Solomon's son finally blows it and uh, the northern ten tribes then leave for good. So that's chapter 19 and 20. We have this tragedy of Amasa and what's going on and with with this rebellion that's going on up north and how David deals with this rebellion and I just all more indicative of how the enemy is always trying to divide. Once God tries to establish a good work and starts trying to do something to draw people together, then the enemy comes in from within and starts trying to divide. And so the, the lesson we're supposed to pick up from this I believe one of the clear lessons is be faithful to the Lord first and be respectful of those people that God has raised up and and serve under them. Now, if in a church, obviously, if its church is not biblical, if the leadership is unbiblical or something, then you say, adios, I'm going to find somewhere that is. But if if it's minor issues... Do we wear a mask? Do we not wear a mask? Do we get a vaccine, not get a vaccine, whatever it is? Um, you are wise. You are wise to come under the leadership of the church and to encourage and stay faithful to the church God has planted you in. Unless they're doing something unbiblical, then that's a different story. But if they are, man, stay planet where you God puts you and grow and serve there and, and watch God bless the ministry. There's always going to be those people that are complainers, that uh, shebas that come in and say, well, I don't like what's going on. I don't want you. I don't agree. I'm out, of, I'm out of here. And they try and take people with them. And it's so often under unbiblical circumstances, unbiblical means. They don't like the worship format. It's something dumb. They get mad at something really dumb. And they make it their point to complain to everybody about it. And our responsibility is to say, look, stop it. <laughs> That's not what we're here for. We're here to learn about God and serve the Lord. So just be mindful of those things because they come into the church all the time. They're very, very destructive and harmful and hurtful. And we don't need that. So let's move on to Charles Spurgeon today. Thank him, dwell acceptably. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to thy name. The upright shall dwell in thy presence. Psalm 140, 13. Oh, that my heart may be upright, that I may always be able to bless the name of the Lord. He is so good to those that be good, that I would fain be among them and feel myself full of thankfulness every day. Perhaps for a moment, the righteous are staggered when their iniquity results in severe trial. But assuredly, the day shall come when they shall bless their God that they did not yield to evil suggestions and adopt a shifty policy. In the long run, true men will thank the God 
of right, for leading them by the right way. Oh, that I may be among them. What a promise is implied in the second clause. The upright shall dwell in thy presence. They shall stand accepted where others appear, only to be condemned. They shall be the courtiers of the great king, indulged with audience, whensoever they desire it. They shall be favored ones, upon whom Jehovah smiles, and with whom he graciously communes. Lord, I covet this high honor, this precious privilege. It will be heaven on earth to enjoy it. Make me in all thy upright, that I may today and tomorrow and every day stand in thy heavenly presence. Then will I give thanks to thy name evermore. Amen. Beautiful how Charles Spurgeon has a a mind and an understanding of Scripture that brings him into the presence of God in a very deep way, and he uses words to, to paint such a beautiful picture of what it is to be a servant of God, to be before God. So that's why he's considered one of the greatest preachers that ever lived. And this is the heart of preaching, to bring you into the presence of God, to listen to his voice and not your own. And he's such an encouragement to me and um, and such for, for us, I think, just the direction as we hear the words of God, that we may come into that same gratefulness as him and be able to thank him for the privilege we have. So let's do that this morning. My God in heaven, thank you for your blessings. And thank you that even as we go through the trials, we can still yet praise you. And we thank you, God, for your ever faithfulness to us. So God, direct us in our hearts and in our prayers and help us be mindful of the things going on around us. And Father, as, uh, as we see David coming back into his kingdom, we're reminded that no worldly force and no spiritual power can unseat our king, the son of David. No force in this universe can overthrow his kingdom. There will be those Shebas. There will be those people that come against the things that you are establishing and trying to divide your people. But we thank you that you're faithful and just, God, and that you are you are the one who continues to build your kingdom and use us in the building of your kingdom and, and give us joy in the midst of it and the midst of those trials. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for for readying us for your return and and your establishment of your throne upon this earth. It's incredible to think of, Father. It's beyond my ability to comprehend. And I feel almost a need to ask your forgiveness because I I haven't set my mind upon it and the greatness of it to try to even try. But it's a lim- it's it's our limited capacity, Father. So show us your glory and demonstrate to us, help us to see this and help us have that same capacity as Charles Spurgeon to see and glory in the privileges we have in serving you, in knowing you, and being a part of your kingdom. And while we are doing that, God, we want to remember our brothers and sisters which are which are fighting the fight in the physical realm with their bodies and the diseases and the difficulties, God, that they're enduring. We want to just 
lift them up, pray for them, Father, and let them know we love them and are standing with them, especially Juan Carlos right now, waiting for his surgery. Um, we pray that, that um, you, his mom, came through her surgery without any complications, went well. Thank you for that. Thank you for Maria Elena coming through her cataract surgery and um, for Celeste's treatment. Pray that went well for Karen Skoog with her treatments, that that's going really well. Praying that maybe Hank has been able to um, finish off his treatments, that he's seeing results and that everything's going well there. So we thank you for him as well as our friend up in Virginia, for Steve going through what he's going through. Um, also BJ, that he got his surgery done in, in uh, Texas. And, um, and we thank you for Pastor Joe being healed. And we want to uh, think of and even Carmen and her uh, cancer in her ear. God, that gets completely dealt with quickly. So thank you for these, the, the healing that you are doing. And we have many more people, God, that need your touch. Too many to name, but just touch them, heal them, bring them into wholeness, and help those that are fighting in the physical, God, uh, in, in their countries, and that are trying to do their best to stay alive because they're being attacked. And we think of the people that are trying to be faithful, the Christians that are ministering up around the Ukraine, the Ukraine, Poland, over in China, uh, wow, in Russia, so many places that believers are, are in highly volatile areas and need your protection, God. And we are blessed so mightily that we don't know what it is to not hear the sound of bullets and bombs around our homes. But we want to lift them up and let them know they're loved and help them, God, in their desire to follow you and not fall into fear. God, guide them and bring them through these things. Make them stronger. Make them into warriors, God, spiritual warriors, praying through these times and keeping a strong witness. So thank you for what they're doing. Thank you for lifting us up. We pray for Israel. Now looking at, um, again, more intense things going on as they continue to grow into a a superpower in the, in, the, in the energy industry. So we we ask you to keep your hand firmly upon them for their protection. Thank you for this day, God, in Jesus' name. That will do it for today. Thank you guys so much. And uh, we will see you again same time tomorrow. Thank you guys that were tuned in yesterday for the service. Um, it was fun. It was a blessing. Starting in Second Peter, it's going to get interesting. So keep up on it. It's a really, really good book. I want to encourage you to read the whole thing. And we'll continue on with it. So we'll see you tomorrow. Come by.